Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Mick Hyman. He is a seasoned wealth manager with a career spanning four decades. He's the founder of Hyman Investment Counseling, and he started in Cincinnati. He recognized that human emotion is the linchpin driving financial markets, defying traditional economic understanding. His journey then led him to Louisville, where he honed expertise in equities, managing billions in assets, and achieving consecutive outperformance of the S&P 500. Later, in my hometown, San Diego, he returned to working closely with individual investors, some for over three decades, showcasing his steadfast approach. Mick's unique approach is anchored in understanding human nature and appreciating long-term trends, a perspective he shares through articles and contributions to esteemed financial publications. He authored Mellow Your Money, a transformative guide advocating for sound money management as a meditative practice, leading to peace rather than panic. He emphasizes self-awareness and a less-is-more strategy, silencing media noise for a profitable, counterintuitive investing approach, ultimately promoting health wealth, and wisdom. Welcome to the show, Mick. Thank you so much, Flavia. I'm excited to be on the show. So happy to have you because I think the, the topic of money and wealth and just those resources and abundance, I mean, it's, it's like a pain point for a lot of entrepreneurs who feel that like they're only uh, holding, you know, the only thing holding them back is either lack of financing, lack of money, they're not making enough, and, you know, once they start making money, what do they do with it, you know, to make sure that it continues to provide for them? So how did you end up in this world of finance? <laughs> well, that's that's a kind of an odd story when you think of my background. But but and to your point, it is a, it is a constant stress. You either don't have enough or you don't know what to do with it. And then you have enough, but then you're scared of losing it. And so it is a it is the, the psychological components of money are. If we don't face it, it's going to be an ongoing stress. And so as far as my beginning, oddly enough, my interests and excitement in, when I was in college was always around more of the humanities, you know, psychology and philosophy and, and uh, literature. And uh, when I did you know, take some econ courses, those were always my worst ones. Why I majored in it, I'm not sure. I think it sounded more professional or something. I remember my statistic, my statistics class um, after the midterm, the professor, you know, walked me over and he said, you know, Mick, we know you don't know much about statistics, you know, looking at your midterm grade, but let's figure out the odds of passing this class, given your score. And of course, it was very low odds. So he said, go to the drop office. And so um, that was always something I was kidded about because I was not the numbers guy. I was not the guy that, that you know, is going to figure out every accounting problem with the company. But what I loved was the Russian literature, the emotions that come with it and, and the study of emotions. 
And as I started off in this business, I realized that's, that's what you needed to know. That if you don't understand the psychology of the markets or the psychology of your clients, you're missing a broad spectrum of what's going to help you. It's not like going to an accountant and getting an answer. And we're talking about an unpredictable future. And for that, you really need to be balanced in and understanding emotions and that type of thing. So that was my, my start in it. And then when I first got in the business, my first, one of my first jobs was to build data in the computer. And the only way you could build data back in the 19, early 1980s was, at least um, from my naive standpoint, was go to the library and get the data out of the newspapers. And so I would start reading, you know, back in the 1920s. And of course, besides writing numbers down, I couldn't resist reading the headlines and, and getting the history. And amazingly, as, as you might imagine, each week, just like they're printed this week, in our current day, every week seemed like the world was coming to an end. Whether it was the crash in 29 or, or through the depression in the 30s or Pearl Harbor, you just felt like, that's the way the press presented things. We're not going to survive this thing. And amazingly, the next week, the market was doing us up or down and, and would keep going. And it was a great education to me that life keeps going. Each time we think the world is coming to an end, it keeps moving along. And to have that confidence, whether it's in our business or in our lives, you know, with our health, that things can keep moving along. And it gave me great confidence in that. So that's kind of a large summary of how I got started. But it, it also gave me a great perspective on, on both the, the market and money and business. And reading all those headlines over the decades, historical perspectives, do you think that today, because we have social media and everyone's plugged in, it's not just people who read the paper or read you know the finance section, but we're talking like, Everyone is plugged in and they're hearing lots of different perspectives. And usually what we get is very nuanced and very, and it's also biased, right? Because we follow and listen to the people that tend you know, to think like we do or that have the same beliefs. And so you end up sort of just hearing the same side of everything. I mean, do you think that the world of finance has been affected in a big way by social media and just the media in general, the way that it plays out these days? Yeah, I do. I think that, uh, well, in, 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 in different ways, but in terms of, of the stress level, it's definitely higher because back in the early 80s, you know, you didn't have 24-hour news. You had, actually, there was one stock market program that was on Friday night. When I, when I started working, I would hang out with my grandparents and my grandpa always liked to watch that show, Wall Street Week. And that was it. And of course, you got some stocks, you know, you could look in the paper and see what your stocks did, but there wasn't the constant noise that we're getting today. And so I think what it's up to is the stress level. Has it helped any? I would say no. That, that you know, if you're a numbers guy, you'd, you'd be arguing with me right now. But if you're a long-term investor, I think the best thing in the world is to shut that noise down. And it was a lot easier to do it back in the 1980s. We didn't even have a Quotron in our, in our office when we started. We had to walk, a, walk up a floor or two to, to the brokerage office that was there. I mean, so we weren't inundated with prices going up and down constantly. And so it encouraged us to let it go. 
you know, stocks move up and down, you, you move along. But yeah, today we it, it's it's just a bigger effort to shut it down, in my opinion. So for you, because when I read your bio, there's people listening who aren't really involved in the world of finance, maybe don't have someone like you helping them. And so it was probably all a blur. Like, what does this guy actually do? So tell us, like, what is your job? Like, what do you do day to day? What is it that you do to help your clients? How do you service their needs? So, and I have a varied group of clients. Some of them I've worked with, uh, as you had said in your, in your intro, with, for over 30 years. And so one was a, was a school teacher, a third grade teacher, who just was amazing at saving money. I mean, she, she was telling me one time when she was growing up, she would roll quarters with her, with her mom and even take a little bit of the allowance she needed for school lunch money and add a couple of quarters to the, to the roll. And, and so she had it in her mind to save money. And when I started working with her nearly 30 years ago, she had a small portfolio and she had her teacher's salary and we, and we started investing. And for me, so what do I do? It's, it's buy a group of stocks. Over time, you, you trim some of the ones that have done well. You add ones that are more interesting. But most of the time, you're pretty steady with, with the stocks you have. And that's been one of the things I've really emphasized is focus on the long term. So many people want, think of investors like me that they're in the market trading all the time. Whereas if you're just starting out, buy a fund or buy a group of stocks that you're confident in and let them go a little bit. Be patient. You know, imagine if you bought Apple 20 years ago at whatever price that would have been, maybe $3, $2 a share. And it doubled or tripled. And you were so excited. Oh my gosh, it's, I've got a stock that tripled and I can go to, go to the Bahamas or something. Well, then imagine now it's 172. If you sold it at six and you didn't get back in, think of the money that you just didn't get because you were impatient with it. So that's, that's, so what I do is build a portfolio for individuals. Some of them are young people. And then it's a smaller portfolio and you're, and, and of course it's fewer shares, but you can use the same philosophy for a young person, whether they're, you know, out of college and just starting to save money or whether they're a retired person that's had the money for, for 30 years. And I've heard a lot of financial planners say, Hey, if you've got 30, <laughs> 40 years before you retire from the horizon, you should be aggressive and take risks. Uh, if you're older, near retirement, you should be a little more conservative, a little risk averse, because I mean, you're going to need that money soon. So what's your own personal philosophy on, on that? It is a very, I, what I, what I hate is that cookie cutter approach. You know, we all have our unique objectives and risk tolerance. And, you know, I, I've always joked, imagine it's your first thousand dollars that you have to invest. You have your emergency fund. You finally say, I'm ready to, to put some money in. And instead of like putting, you know, $100 a week or $100 a month or whatever, you just plop that $1,000 in and somebody told you, be aggressive, you know? And of course, invariably, the market goes down when you do that. And so your $1,000 turns into $800 because the market's down 20%. That happens. And what's the first thing you're going to do is, this is the dumbest thing I could have done. And then out you go and you're buying CDs or you're, you're buying a cryptocurrency or something even worse. And you're thinking, imagine 
the amount of money you won't get because you weren't patient, but it's because you got too aggressive because of somebody telling you you should be. So what I would say is each person needs to understand the market moves up and down and most people really can't predict that. I've been in the market for 40 years and to think that the, mar- that the future is unpredictable. So you have to be prepared for a surprise. And when that surprise happens, you have to realize, oh, if you had that $1,000 in, it'll come back. Just like the newspaper uh, headline thing taught me, time moves along, it'll come back, things will be fine. But if you start off without that knowledge or you took too much risk, maybe the best thing is to put half your money in stocks and slowly get used to the volatility. And so each person is a little different. I've worked for older people who have enough money. They're getting, you know, whether it's Social Security or their pension or their 401k or the dividends off their stocks, and they're 75% in the market. Why? They're growing it for their family and their kids and, and such, and they don't care about the volatility. You know, so that's, you know, that would sound ridiculous to, to a wealth planner typically, but that's their objective. And that's okay. And then they understand it. So the important thing is that each person understand their unique objectives. You brought up crypto, which I'm just so curious, especially because you're someone that's been in the industry for a really long time. So you are someone that was an expert and very experienced long before crypto was even a thing, you know, even existed. What's your feeling on crypto? I'd love to know your thoughts. I don't, I don't, I've tried really hard to understand it. And I simply don't. And my, my rule, which my, my old boss taught us years ago, is if, if you don't understand something, if you don't know why you would use crypto, other than if you, you know, need to have some privacy with your money, with, which most of us don't, why, why is Bitcoin going to go up in price forever? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So I've, I've avoided it other than for one client who wanted me to try it out for him. And of course, we bought the absolute top. And he told me two weeks later, oh, Mick, forget this. I don't understand. I mean, it doesn't mean that people didn't make a ton of money in crypto. Some people did. Some people made a ton of money in Beanie Babies back in the day and, and in, in uh, GameStop and meme stocks. So these, these trends will always pop up, but they're typically short-lived. And typically, we know about them long after the big money has been made. And so you have to say, good for you for the person that made money and try to try to reduce that, that psychology of FOMO, fear of missing out. I mean, constantly somebody's winning the lottery, somebody's buying crypto. If we get sucked into that stuff, we always buy the top. And believe me, in my own personal history, these are lessons I had to learn the hard way. Well, I hope you don't have a giant box full of Beanie Babies somewhere in your attic. <laughs> no, I have a daughter, though. She has a few of them, but, but they're, they're not in shape to pay for college education, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't the sound college fund. Got it. Good. <laughs> so I do have a question, because when you authored this guide called Mellow Your Money, you sort of equated sound money management with a type of meditative practice. It can almost be meditation. And I think this finances, woo-woo mindset doesn't usually overlap in people's minds. So tell us how you teach mindset in a way that combines the hard number crunching and all that goes into finance with a little bit more of a psychological approach and and looking inward into oneself. 
Well, and, and what I try to do is, is come from the emotional standpoint. And whether they admit it or not, 2008, the market seemed to be coming completely unglued. And if you didn't have an emotional component to that, I mean, whether you were in the business or you were a client, it seemed like the world was coming to an end. And so to me, dealing with our own emotions is really important. For me personally, 9-11, I was traveling a lot and post 9-11 was totally stressful, not just because of the markets, but just from the whole traveling standpoint. And that's when I learned how to meditate and um, how to, and I always thought it was about quieting my mind. And, it, and the way I was taught was, no, thoughts come in your mind constantly. Just be mindful of them. Pay attention and let them go. And sometimes you can't let it go. Sometimes it, you know, it dominates you. But over time, over 10 or 15 minutes that you're sitting there, eventually you realize, oh, I'm not my thought. Yes, I might be concerned about the market or about a health issue or about a family issue, but it's just a thought. It doesn't have to overwhelm me. And so having meditation be part of my life allowed me to kind of get in touch with my own emotions, which more than allowed me to help others. And the other part of that was to not judge. When you're sitting there, you don't finish and say, oh, that was a fantastic meditation or that was a terrible one. You just say, oh, I sat and I'm done. And, the, and that whole non-judgment thing is really helpful. Sometimes you're doing well in the market. Sometimes your stocks are up and you're happy. And sometimes they're not. But it's very, very important to be a little non-judgmental and be a little more removed from that. And that's the same thing with objectives. You know, if we set our objectives of you know, maybe you're half in stocks or two-thirds in stocks and someone else is in crypto and they're making a ton of money, allowing yourself to say, good for them, but this is my objective and, and putting that aside. And, and I think um, when I think of people who are in business and getting successful in business, the, the people I've worked with, I, I had one client who joked with me early on and, and it, <laughs> I had to take it not personally or try to. He said, Nick, I'm the guy who can make money. I, every, almost anything I touch, I can make money in business with it. But I learned, and I've learned actually from talking to you a little bit, that the chip I have is not what I need to save money or invest money. It's like yin and yang. I'm the yang guy. You're the boring yin guy. And of course, being boring isn't the perfect compliment. But I understood what he was saying, is that the same thing that he needed to make money is not what you need to save or invest money. And so I totally understood that. And, and I think people, when they're in business and they're, and they're using their, all their skills to make money, it's very hard to then let it go, invest, be patient, don't, you know, don't get excited when things move up or down. That, that's a hard thing for a CEO or, or entrepreneur to let it go. And so I, I probably wandered off the question a little bit, but, but that's uh, one of the things that triggered me. Well, for even for that client, do you think that's specific to that client? Or do you think it's really common to have this sort of money mindset arm wrestling between your instinct to generate, make money, produce versus invest for the long term, save, you know, be prudent? Do you think that there is for everybody a little bit of a tug of war? 
Absolutely. And I actually gave him credit for, for understanding that because I've worked for people who were very impatient and really struggled with that, would, would look at their performance quarter in, quarter out, or year in and year out, and wonder why we weren't more active. And it was a, t- it was a bit of, like you said, a tug of war. Eventually, you go through enough cycles, and if, they, if, they, if they're still working with me, they see, oh, I get it now. I'm glad we didn't do anything then. You know, I'm glad we hung in there. But you have to survive a cycle or two. And, and I've certainly had some clients that wanted to, to be more active. And, and, you know, they certainly, but you can find what you want in this business. That's for sure. Well, I, I could talk about money forever because I think it's, <laughs> um, it's one of those things that it's, it's the fuel for a business, but it's also like the fruit of the business, right? You need the money to get the business going, to, to kick it off, but then the ideas for that business to not only support itself, but also generate a profit and support you. So especially for entrepreneurs, so they can not go get a job and work for somebody else. But you're right. I mean, it's so difficult too, for people who are in the mode of got to make money, got to make money, got to make revenue, got to make profit to then kind of take a step back and think about the future 20 years from then and what they're going to do with, you know, planting these other seeds that are not part of their business. It's like, it could be stocks or bonds or, you know, other, even investing in REITs and real estate and all these different things, but it can be very confusing and probably overwhelming. And I think that's one of the reasons, not just the mindset thing of, you know, yin to yang, are you saving, are you making, but also it's overwhelming and confusing. So I think a lot of people throw in the towel and are like, I'll get to that later. Let me just focus on making money. So what are some kind of easy first steps for somebody that just feels like investing is this is in quotes and they have no idea what that actually means in a practical sense day to day? Well, I, I think the first thing to think about is I had one of my clients, I mean, he would preach it to every one of his grandkids, pay yourself first. And I realized in a, in a startup business, it's the hardest thing in the world. You want every dollar to go be going into that business. And so maybe it's not possible at the beginning, but don't go forever without thinking, I've got to, I've got to balance things out because the business is going to go up or down. And if that's the only thing you've got going at some point, 10, 20, 30 years from then, from now, it's going to feel imbalanced in your life. And so to work with a, a money manager and, and, and make sure that it, when, when you do, make sure they understand your objectives, make sure they're not using a cookie cutter approach, but you're telling them how much you're risking, how much that you're in a business that might be cyclical, that might be ups and downs, but you want to start off with, and, and I would say use funds at first, you know, use a diversified, whether it's an S&P index fund or, or some kind of fund like that, that be diversified. Don't, you're making money with your business. Don't try to be too aggressive with your savings. And probably before you even do stocks, you want to have that emergency fund. And so I'm not one to say, jump into stocks right away. Take your time. Make sure you've got cash for, for you know, when things are cyclically down. But on the other hand, eventually, you want to start with buying some funds and letting the stock market work for you. All amazing advice. Mick, how do people reach out to you if they want to learn more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of your guide called Mellow Your Money, or yeah. just in general, follow what you do? 
Sure. The, uh, I'm in LinkedIn as, as Mick Hyman. And then uh, my website is mellowyourmoney.com. And you can email me there too. And I'd be happy to converse with people. And, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book is I, I myself am a, a you know, solo practitioner. And so I've run out of room for clients. I know. And so my goal is to, to talk on, you know, your podcast is fantastic. And my goal is to reach out to people this way and through my book and through emails. And I'm happy to talk to anybody at any point and, and throw some ideas their direction. But this is my path right now. And, and I'm, I'm loving it. Well, what you're doing is transforming people's lives and finances and not just really their lives, but the lives of everyone <laughs> in their family and in their circle and their descendants. Like these are ways to build generational wealth and not just uh, you know comfort in retirement. So the work you do is super important. So thank you for spreading you know all your messaging and all of your wisdom. And thank you so much for being on the show today and giving us your time. Thank you, Flavia. I love being on the show. I think what you do is fantastic and really appreciate the opportunity. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave a review on iTunes, I promise I will read every single review. If you know someone who makes a full-time living from part-time work, and maybe this is you, please visit lifestylesolopreneur.com to nominate a guest or to nominate yourself. Because remember this, money doesn't buy happiness, but money in the hands of a happy person, there is no greater tool. Today's episode was brought to you by the Get Shift Done program. It's a lifestyle changing online class to help you define your business and lifestyle ambitions and to set goals in a way you've never experienced before. This class will 10X your daily productivity with methods that will blow your mind. And if you use the coupon code podcast, the class tuition is 99% off. Visit getshiftdone.com to enroll today.